2: Right rug flooring.
3: It is true. If you live your life detached from people and you never ever need anybody or get close to anybody or depend on anybody, you will probably have an easier life. You will not have as much easy, pain. yeah. Yeah, easy. Like your life will probably have less like pain in it, you know, because you're not gonna be as attached. You don't ever have to suffer a loss. But I think the question really ask yourself is, are you looking for an easy life or like more of a meaningful life? Welcome back and welcome to Uni Therapy
4: Podcast. I am your host Kat and okay, we are coming all the way back around to the first episode because today we are talking about attachment styles and that is probably the number one most requested, most talked about, most commented on all of the things topic that I get from you guys and I love that because I am an attachment focused human. And in my work, I base like everything off of attachment theory. I look at everything through a lens of attachment and it has helped me help other people learn their blind spots, relearn patterns and beliefs and understand themselves so much better. So if you don't know what attachment theory is, one, I want you guys to go back and listen to the very first episode. Give me some grace on the fact that I really didn't know what I was doing or how to really lead a conversation <laughs> on a podcast, but I think I did an okay job, but that will give you the behind the scenes info. Today, me and my friend Megan go into just the insecure types of attachment, and that's the, the two of them. We go into two of them, in, avoidant and anxious, and it we go in a little bit more detail Obviously, we're going to do more episodes like this, so just hold on. But I'm excited for you guys to hear this, and I hope you guys understand some of this, and it, it hits, sits with you well, and it helps you understand yourself a little better. Um, always take this stuff like ounce by ounce. Like it doesn't have to be like a hundred thousand pounds weighing on you after you get all this information, because it is a lot. And if it feels heavy, or it feels a lot, or your mind is going a million different ways reach out to somebody and talk about it because this information to me feels very um, simple and it feels very like almost like I'm desensitized to it because it's what I work with all day every day but if it's new information to you it can kind of signal some thoughts and signal some like you know light bulb moments that might feel like a lot. So if this stuff is hitting you, I suggest, hey, go talk to a professional, go talk to a friend, go talk to somebody safe, journal, get some of this stuff out. Um, As always, you can follow me at Defada on Instagram. You can follow the podcast at at you need therapy podcast. And you can join our self love club, which is a newsletter that I send out every single Monday when a new episode drops and you can sign up for that on our website at unitherapypodcast.com and uh, again I want to say an extra special thank you for my friend Megan who was on this episode with me and without keeping you guys waiting any longer here is one of my favorite episodes ever my conversation on attachment with Megan okay you guys if you are newer great if you've been here from the beginning also great. But the first episode I ever recorded was an episode I did by myself and it was on attachment theory and what I did was I took somebody who had no idea what it was and kind of walked her through the very 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 basics of it. And throughout the conversation, she kind of identified what she felt she was and we kind of talked about what that looked like. It's pretty cool and Since then, I've gotten so many messages, so many questions from friends, from like random people I don't know, um, from clients about like, that was so helpful and cool. I've never heard of that before. I can't figure out what I am. And I was like, well, that was just like an opening to the story. And so also, it's okay if you don't know what you are, too. Like, it's like you don't, not everybody needs to know their attachment style. Like, everybody needs to know their Enneagram number. Like, not everybody needs to know that. However, I do, like, I, me and Megan both, Megan and I, both thought it would be really interesting and cool to do a whole episode talking about the insecure attachment styles. And
3: Mm -hmm. so, especially because, I mean, I think for you too, I have so many clients who either talk about it, like, I don't know what Mm -hmm. I am, or I don't know, I think this would be helpful, I've heard about this. Or like I was working with a client today who was like, no, I've never heard about this. Yeah, And I know, at least for me, I first learned about attachment really in a place where I actually understood it when I was in treatment myself. Mm -hmm. And it was such a relief because I was like, holy shiz balls. Mm -hmm. There are other people like there is a name name. for how I am. Mm -hmm. And if this is what they're telling me like is true, then... That doesn't mean I'm super messed up. Like, that means there's actually a lot of other people who are the same as me. Yeah. And there's actually, like, a reason, an explanation. and explanation. to so, there's a way out of it, too. Yeah. Not only does it totally, like, frame the way I do work with clients, it also was so shame-reducing for me for because I'm like, oh, yeah, like,
4: wow, there's a name for this. Yeah. And, yes. And so what I want to do is kind of give a brief overview for those of you who haven't listened to the first episode. A brief overview of what attachment theory is and kind of why we use it. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about some, like, I don't know if the right word is caveats, but some things we want you to know before we go into this. And then we're going to do two more in-depth looks at anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. Mm -hmm. And we'll just kind of, like, piggyback off each other in this we could talk about attachment probably for five hours so
3: <laughs> yeah and obviously like I mean this is the whole thing even about individual therapy in general but hopefully this is an introduction to y'all and you're like wow that's some really good information helps you get thinking but like we cannot fix or really like you cannot solve your attachments injuries on your own like the best way to heal injuries from mm-hmm. an in- attachment or insecure attachment is through, uh, like a positive attachment experience, which is a lot of what can happen in therapy. So the other thing is, is like, you know, get your information on attachment, listen to the podcast, read books, that sort of thing. But it also is a thing also where we could explain to you all day how to ride a bike, but you're not going to know how, unless you actually go ride it. Do it. And yeah. that's where actually going to therapy or getting in some sort of, um, relationship that can help you. Heal the injuries that you've suffered yeah. is like really the path to healing,
4: right, which probably might not make sense to you yet if you don't know what attachment is, but I'm glad you you said that, and we'll say more on that at the end as well
5: mm-hmm.
4: before we get started, I'm just going to do a very brief this is a very brief yeah, like explanation brief. of what attachment theory is, but attachment theory is a school of thought. That has been developed, it started by being developed by a guy named John Bowlby, and since has had a lot of influence from other people, one including Mary Ainsworth, who actually added a lot of good information, and then Dan Siegel more recently. All of that probably means nothing to you guys just wanted to say this is not my
3: information. <laughs> yeah. We did not, <laughs> not create this theory. theory at all. Um,
4: but this is the framework in which I and Megan view most of if not all of our clients and kind of how to kind of see where they how they developed and then what we need to do in order to help heal some of their wounds. So attachment theory basically says and feel free to say mm-hmm. jump in here Megan but it basically says that like our earliest Um, Experiences and relationships have the greatest effect on developing kind of how we view the world, how we view relationships and how we get our needs met. And based on how our needs are met as children and babies, first and foremost, we adjust Mm -hmm. our needs or our attachment to our needs in order to feel safe or, I struggle saying this word, secure, even if you don't feel secure, or get your own
3: needs met. I mean the thing about this is that like when we jump into talking about the insecure attachment styles which are anxious and avoidant, like these are strategies mm-hmm. for the ways that we do relationship with people. Mm-hmm. So they have there's a reason that this is the way you do it. It's a strategy for doing relationship that keeps you safe and also probably keeps you pretty disconnected. But I think it's important to know this isn't just like oh there's something wrong with you, let's fix it. It's a right. strategy
4: Survival. That you've
3: learned to survive in relationship.
4: Yeah. yeah, and which I'm always like, humans are so smart. It's like we are so smart. So, mm-hmm. basically, the theory in in the most basic of terms says that humans are born helpless and hardwired to search to attach to caregivers to get their needs met. Usually, this would be like your mom, but it could be your dad, or it could be whatever person is closest to you. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever's providing. Care or it can be a multiple. It can be a right? yeah.
3: I mean, I get people who are like, "But I had a nanny," and it's if like, you're, it "Gosh, could be the we nanny. gotta yeah." Yeah, we'll have to figure out what this looked like for you. Or I had a mm-hmm. grandparent live next door, so mm-hmm. it's hard to name one person. Yeah, and so if your needs were met with
4: success, and seventy percent of the time which is like a heart. How do you know what Mm -hmm. the percentage is? But like basically if the majority, if over the majority of the time your needs and your cries for attention and love and support were met, you would develop what is called a secure attachment. If they were not met, you would develop what is called an insecure attachment. There are three types. There are two types of organized insecure attachment, and we're going to talk about those. And there's one type of disorganized, Um, insecure attachment, and we're not going to talk about that one.
3: Right. And I think it's also like, let's talk a little bit about when we say the word needs, like I often have clients who are like, oh yeah, my parents gave me everything they needed. You know, they weren't that bad. They never like hit me or anything. I'm like, okay, if the bar is that your parent never hit you, like, whoa, you know, we're starting. So the, one of the best like studies I like on attachment is the one with the wire there, somebody did a study I don't even know who with two yeah. gorillas and one of the gorillas was a wire just like totally wires and um, but it had milk like for the baby mm-hmm. gorillas to drink out of and then the other gorilla that they like made the mock gorilla um, ha- was warm like it had warmth and it had fur and it had like all of the kind of makings of a real live gorilla but it didn't have any milk um, and what they found in the studies is that, like the overwhelming majority of the time the baby gorillas w- went without the milk and the nutrients from the milk to go be with mm-hmm. the the fake gorilla that was warm and like nurturing and cuddly mm-hmm. and so I think that's really important to think about like when you're saying like oh my parents didn't hit me and they gave me like food clothing shelter like we're talking about needs far beyond that it's emotional like, needs yeah could they also like when you were crying like did they just shove a bottle in your mouth or were they also able to like attune to attune you? to you and nurture you and soothe you mm-hmm. um and so I think even just helpful to know, like when we're talking about needs, we're looking way beyond Maslow's hierarchy of like, yeah, you've got food, clothing, shelter, and weren't beaten. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And what's, what I always say to people is, like, we were born to need people. We were yes. born to connect. You were born attached to your mother when you came out of her womb. Like, you, you had to be cut apart, literally. So, it's like, we were born to connect. And something that is so interesting to me is that humans, out of any other species, have the longest period where they're vulnerable mm. and kind of, like, rely on... Um, other people to help them meet
3: all of their needs um yeah, we're the only um, mammal species who who have like no form of protection mm-hmm. when you're born like if you think mm-hmm. about it i don't know i used to be, really love giraffes and like baby giraffes come out of the womb and they can run Nuh-uh. yeah yeah Like you can watch a giraffe video birth video on like YouTube. we can't even walk but yeah we can't, we can't do even crawl. anything yeah we can't crawl we can't walk we have zero ability to protect ourselves I didn't. That's so interesting. So,
4: okay, let's describe secure first, really quickly, mm-hmm. and then there's a couple of things I want to say before we get into the insecure. Does that sound? Do you want to describe secure, or do you want me to? Um,
3: think- I think. I mean, I, I think it's okay going how we've done it. Is that what do you mean? You can lead, and oh, then I'll okay. add. Okay. Secure. That is anywhere between fifty and fifty-five percent of humans, which is so. Can I just say, yeah. I mean, I know that statistic, but that mm-hmm. actually gives me a lot of hope for the world. I know I some <laughs> people might think to themselves like 50 to 55%, like, you know, glass half empty. But to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, I did not know it was that high. Mm-hmm. Um, I just learned that this week when we were kind of preparing yeah. for the episode. Yeah. And so I I think I looked through the world with like a much different lens mm-hmm. of like, pe- and I think people are more attached than I thought there were mm-hmm. there were more there's more secure people out there than i imagined you know it's interesting we have
4: different experiences because when i learned about this i am a person who like memorizes facts for tests and mm-hmm. not like understands the concepts mm-hmm. so like i could memorize the percentages of everything but um so i remember that sticking out to me And at the same time, I was like, there's no way that's true. Oh,
3: but (laughs) it's that high? Yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. Okay. I still do. Like, I'm like, oh, that's really hopeful. But I'm like, how? And I... Yeah. I think that'll make more sense once
4: we describe how we view a lot of these things. But per the research, it's 50 to 55%. Um, And these... um, are they like babies and infants that um, experience a sense of security and safety with their caregiver? The mom shows up basically, or whoever it is shows up. They grow up with the belief that people are good. Um, they believe their partners are going to be loving and caring to them. They're able to communicate their needs well without a lot of hesitation and insecurity. Um, they're not overly sensitive. They are not overly sensitive about being rejected, which is, I say that with a caveat. Everybody has a a tinge of Mm -hmm. sensitivity to that because I think it would be a little bit...
3: Crazy if nobody, if somebody was like, I don't care about being rejected. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the biggest thing, even thinking in secure attachment, is they can face rejection and then self-soothe and move on. Mm -hmm. Whereas some of the more insecure styles, like it's the moving on part, is the part that doesn't happen.
4: Well, and they, what I would see in somebody secure too, it's like when you say, I would say they can soothe and move on. Like somebody who's secure can feel pain and then they can lean into other humans. Um, rather than running away from them or they can, they can soothe with a human. They don't Mm -hmm. soothe by a human. Like they, the other human doesn't do the soothing for them Mm -hmm. and they don't do it alone. Does that make sense? Right. And then, um, basically they're like programmed to like believe that people are good. Like that's the basis of it, that people will be there. They'll be good they're comfortable with intimacy Mm -hmm. they don't they're not over and they're not under
3: right like they can set pretty appropriate boundaries they can respect other people's boundaries they obviously like are humans too and so Mm -hmm. have areas where they're stronger in some and not stronger in the other but i really also like the picture of like the secure base Mm -hmm. of um yeah, that's one the, important. One of the best pictures I have of like, because I'm like, well, what does this even look like? Or what did this look like as a child? But the child who really was able to create the secure attachment, if you imagine them on a playground, like they go to the playground with their primary attachment figure, so mom, dad, grandparent, whatever, and that figure's sitting there, like watching them get on the play, mm-hmm. like the slide or whatever, and the kid is sort of like, And obviously this is a child that's old enough to go on the slide by themselves or something. But the parent's sitting there. They're watching them. The child starts to go off by themselves to go on the jungle gym. They're kind of looking back at mom. And mom's looking at the child, not looking at the phone, not talking on the phone, Mm -hmm. not looking at the book... And mom's able to say to the child, like, even verbally or with their eyes, like, hey, yeah, you're okay. And the child goes, and then they Mm -hmm. look back at mom, and they're like, am I okay? And mom's like, you're You're okay. okay. And they keep going, and they kind of do this dance where they're really, like, continuing to look back at mom and see, like, am I okay? And mom's like, you're okay. And they keep going. And then, you know, if something happens where they're not okay, they can go back to mom, and mom can, like, help them soothe, Mm -hmm. and then they can go back out and explore the world. So... You know, I almost think like in today's world, or at least in the way I grew up, like where independence was just mm-hmm. like extremely valued. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, we want to just drop you off at the playground mm-hmm. by yourself and you can just navigate this by yourself. Mm-hmm. So even the idea of this secure attachment where the parent is that attuned and kind of checking in and then you're going out and exploring and checking in and going out and exploring. I'm like, oh, wow, that child actually grows up to be more independent than the ones that's just dropped off to figure it out by themselves.
4: Mm mm-hmm. I think it's also important to note there's consistently been shifts in how people are telling you to raise your kids and you know I don't think anybody's ever come up with a completely 100% right protocol and especially with technology it's like yeah the kids are dropped off with a cell phone call me if you need me and it's so I don't really want to get into too much of that but Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting to see the. I would. I would love to see a st- study of like the cohorts of like the different kinds of attachment during different periods of like generations mm-hmm. of like what it looks like. That would yeah, be fascinating. It's like even. I mean, like it, it. You're saying, independence is highly regarded, right? In our, our culture, is, interdependence, needing somebody else, is like, ugh. Like, what's wrong with you? Which yeah. is.
3: But actually, it's sort of like when I had a client, I feel like recently, that was like, I don't want to be nice to myself. Because then I'll never change. And I'm like, oh, wow. No, actually being nice to yourself is how you're going to change. And so it's a similar way of, like, this idea that, like, actually, if you do interdependence, which is, like, showing up, being able to support, meet needs, have needs, those sorts of Mm -hmm. things, it actually makes you far more independent than this, like, other way of just, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. Like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps actually ends up creating someone so needy, but, like, detached from the need. Yeah, Stuck. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that they're stuck, but we'll get into that. Yeah. So but I do like how you're yeah. talking about how like, you know, we're constantly evolving. And I remember like mm-hmm. even talking to somebody now, the general consensus is like breast is best, like breastfeed <laughs> your kid. But like back in the nineties or late eighties or whatever formula was coming out and all of the advertising was like formula is best. Yeah. Um, and so parents are doing the best they can with the information that they, they have. know like, at yeah. any time, and that's constantly changing.
4: Yeah, so that's just basically all we're gonna talk about with Secure, and maybe we might talk about it more later. Hey guys, Kat here, and I have something Before we get into this, there's a couple things I want to say. One of them is going right off of what you just said. None of what we're talking about is to, like, blame a parent or a caregiver for screwing up their kid. Exactly. Because it's... First of all, I do believe that everybody, for the most part, 99% of the time, does the best they can with what they know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, like, non-attunement that we're going to talk about doesn't come from a place of somebody actually just blatantly ignoring their kid or blatantly being mean or dismissive of their kid. They might just have bad timing. They might be preoccupied with other things that they're out of their control. And so it's not that these people weren't paying attention. It's that they weren't paying attention the way that the kid needed it. Basically, not we're not talking about intent. We're talking about impact.
3: Right. And we're not here to judge if anybody's parent is, like, good, bad, right, or wrong. Yeah. Like, we all had human parents with gifts and limitations. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that, like, over and over and over again because it's so true. But I will say, like, this is the reason why you do your own therapy and do your own therapeutic work is because if you don't look at where you came from, Mm -hmm. you will continue to repeat the cycles over and over and over again through your lack of awareness. Yeah. It's just like what happens and like, Um, somebody was telling me recently about a quote they heard about like we have to defy our own parents to actually be able to step into living our own lives and I am probably misquoting that but what they're saying is like Mm -hmm. ultimately like we need to challenge where we came from and like take what works for us and leave the rest and go on but if we never stop to evaluate that you're just going to repeat it right right and we'll talk more at the end about because what what is
4: true is that this isn't static, so it's very fluid, and you can, like, move back and forth, in like, your attachment, you can, your attachment can change, and it can change for the better, mm-hmm. and so if you are, um, Hell yeah, I yeah can. which, yeah, thank God, <laughs> and um, if you identify with some of these insecure traits, then what I want to offer you is, like, hope in the fact that, like. Awareness is the first step to anything, and um, Dan Siegel, who is somebody who's done a lot of research and writing and just really great stuff with attachment theory, he said, "If I was going to say this at the end, but I'm going to say it now, like Mm -hmm. if you can make sense of your attachment wound, you can have a better chance of not continuing the narrative."
3: Perfect, that's what I meant earlier. He said, (laughs)
4: "We're we're meaning making people, and so we create internal narratives in order to create change." we first must, I said this, this is Catherine. And first we must find awareness of the problem, then create new understanding of what happened because humans are meaning making. We will make meaning out of anything to survive and to move forward. And so what we're telling you is that you have the opportunity to create a new story. You can realize that maybe the story you told yourself when you were younger wasn't true. And mom wasn't ignoring you because you're whatever it is that you came up with. Mm -hmm. It could have been something else, or maybe she wasn't even ignoring you. That's just how you felt. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And so what did he say that I, Oh, (laughs) he said, having difficult experiences early in life is less important than whether we found a new way to make sense of how those experiences affected us. Making sense is a sort of strength and resilience, making sense is essential to our well-being and happiness. And so we're,
3: Offering you a way to make sense, mm-hmm. and because it's then that you get to do something differently. Like I still like have so yeah. much of my own attachment stuff that shows up in my own relationship, mm-hmm. and we'll get into this when we're talking more about it. But when I start to notice, like when I start to have a thought of like, oh, well, I don't really care about this person. I don't really need this person. I can say to myself because I know where that comes from. Like, hey, Megan, like that's probably mm-hmm. not really how you feel. Yeah, um, and it seems like you might be kind of hurt right now or something's going on. So what do you need to do and where can you get space to kind of navigate that? Yeah. Which that's the hope is like, we don't ideally you would move toward being more secure, but the way that you do that is not by like getting rid of however you started out. It's a <laughs> by being able to notice it and then help mm-hmm. yourself in that. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So before we get into each one kind of what I there's a couple of things I just want to go through and one is kind of what we're talking about now this is not research this is the school of Cat and Megan <laughs> this is oh, comes gosh. from well and I guess I'll speak for myself yeah. and then you can decide if agree, you want I might not okay so this is my my interpretation of these things based on my own work as being a therapist and working with the hundred of hundreds of clients that I've seen. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: I did not read this in a book. I think therapists would also, some therapists would agree with this, but I don't always think you're not always going to be a hundred percent avoidant, a hundred percent anxious, a hundred percent secure. Like that's not really what I ever see. When you hear these things, You are probably not going to say every single thing that we say about it fits for you.
5: Mm -hmm.
4: And you might fit with parts of each attachment style. And I was talking to Megan before, and I was like, I wish people would view this like they view the Enneagram. It's how, like, when you go through the Enneagram, people will tell you over and over, you will have traits of each one. It's not about the traits you have it's why you do the behaviors and Mm -hmm. so as you kind of listen to us talk about this i want to encourage you to listen to more of like the unconscious motivation of your behavior Mm -hmm. that's going to lead you to your attachment style um
3: And similar to the Enneagram, the hope is like, even with Enneagram, the point of knowing whatever number you are, isn't so you can be like, I'm a seven. Awesome. It's like, okay, what number do you move toward in health? And how can you move that direction? Mm -hmm. And so similarly, like this is like, yeah, I lean avoidant or I lean anxious, but it's like, okay, great. Now that we know that, how do you move toward more security for Mm -hmm. yourself?
4: Yeah. And the truth about the, which I feel like this is like a hot point for me because I feel like and this is my experience because i lean more towards anxious so i would love to hear you mm-hmm. but it is such a hot point to me when that people don't see so much that the underpinnings of both are the same feelings yes the feelings are exactly the same so there's a, there's a fear of abandonment and in rejection in both both insecure styles now how you deal with it is different So it's like what you said the other day, like the wrapping paper is different inside. If you're on an, if you have an insecure attachment, you fear abandonment and rejection. Yeah. No
3: matter if you're avoidant or anxious. So no one is better than the other. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, we talk about this in so many other episodes, too. It's like, some things just look more glamorous than others, like, societally. So, like, we've talked about this with eating disorders. It's like, oh, in some ways, like, anorexia is praised yeah. over bulimia. But it's like, what? It's... There's mm-hmm. dysfunction in both. So, yeah, it's really important in this because, I mean, I'll say, I think the anxious people of the world get the bad rap. Yeah. Um, or <laughs> it's like, you. they're crazy. Yeah. But the avoidance just sort of get like, they're independent. They're, or they're praised. Cold. Yeah. They can be more praised. Nobody's uh, praised for being anxious. Or like the avoidant people like, yeah, we're better at looking like we have it all together. Yeah. But underneath, it's like both people, I mean, even research, like when they did this, there's a study on, um, of an attachment with babies and what they found is they tested the cortisol level in the anxious baby um, and in the avoidant baby mm-hmm. and the cortisol level which is a stress hormone is exactly the same in both mm-hmm. baby even though the anxious yeah. baby was the one that kept crying, 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 couldn't be soothed. And the avoidant baby is the one that actually played looking like calmly by itself. Yeah. The stress hormone, the cortisol levels in both babies, one screaming, one playing by itself quietly was the same.
4: You know what? I, I want to say this before, and then we'll go into talk about avoidant, but I'm going to leave out as many details as I can. But, um, I think that is wildly fascinating because I remember, I might have said this on a podcast before, but I remember one time being in here with you and t- processing something in my life and saying, "It sucks so bad that I have to feel like this," and that person is fine. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, "Because the person I was talking, I have I lean towards anxious, and this person um, we assume leads towards avoidant." And you said, "I don't think that's really what's happening." She was like, "Really? It's like you have." You can have gratitude for being able to feel, and this person is, like, cut off. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't even – they're feeling, but they don't know at all. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't know. They think they're fine. And so that was – offered me, like, hope, and like, oh, I don't have the short end of the stick. I might not like the stick I have, but I don't have the short end.
3: Yeah. Like the other person, and I'm glad you remember me saying that Mm -hmm. because I'm like, also the other person has probably run to the next extreme thing they need to continue to like numb out and avoid Mm -hmm. their lives. Yeah. And whether that's work or something like more severe, like alcohol or drugs or whatever they run to, whereas like, yeah, you're experiencing all the pain and the emotions of the event, Um, and I was thinking to myself, even when I was telling you that, like, gosh, there's a part of me that's like deeply grateful that I would not be where you are, but there's another part of me that's like, man, I wish I could be. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. So let's get into avoidant slash dismissive attachment now. We we'll, we already said this, but I lean more towards anxious, and Megan leans leans more towards avoidant. So you might offer some more experience in what some of this feels like, because mm-hmm. I will describe it, and you might be able to give some personal. I have a lot of experiment experience with dating these people. <laughs> Because as you know, like our wounds fit each other so well. Yeah. So an anxious person, like they need people to feel secure. An avoidant person kind of needs somebody to need them so they don't have to need And so we fit so well. However, what happens is eventually the avoidant person is like, oh my God, this isn't what I signed up for. And then so they run away and then I'm left here being like, but we'll get more into that.
3: Which is good insight. I actually, I, I lean actually mostly secure now. But if I do lean toward one side, it's definitely avoidant. And historically, she just wanted to make sure that you guys knew that your therapist is healthy. (laughs) Yeah, it's secure. Like, um, please, I'll send you, I'll show you the bill of how much money I spent on my own therapy and how many hours to earn secure attachment. But um, yeah, I lean avoidant. And I have actually historically dated other Um, avoidance, which isn't super uncommon, but that's sort of the experience I have. And it's funny because even when I was dating Eric early on, the number one thing I was looking for was like what his attachment style was. (laughs) And I was like, shit, I think he actually might be secure. But I also think I thought that only like 5% of the world had secure attachment.
4: Well, here we are. (laughs) That's actually disorganized. (laughs) Three to 5% are disorganized. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... A dismissive or avoidant attachment style develops when, like, as a baby, it's like you cry and nobody notices. So Mm -hmm. you feel internally rejected or pushed away. Kind of what you're being taught is your distress pushes people away. And so you learn to stop showing signals of distress. Now, we've already said this does not mean that your parents or the caregivers were straight up ignoring
3: you. Like, there could be a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Like, newsflash, your parents also have an attachment style. Right. (laughs) Um, So, also, I mean, even a lot of times, like, the parent who's unable to meet the child's needs, Mm -hmm. like, they very well may have an avoidant attachment style that's also like, I don't want somebody to need me too much or, like, consume me or get Mm -hmm. too close. And so, they're obviously sending the same signal to the child of, like, hey, you know, Take mm-hmm. care of yourself,
4: and like, let's
3: put into perspective too, like what's
4: going on in the world. Maybe there you're going through a recession, and somebody's preoccupied with jobs or work. Maybe a parent is going through depression. Maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe there's a a disaster, or maybe I mean, we talked about in one episode, like maybe your one of your parents is in the military, and so there's a lot of things that could go on. And I just so I just again, I'm gonna kind of dig that a Mm hole
3: in for that. Um, That's a plug. Also, if you want to know specifically what was happening in your home, maybe go to your own therapy (laughs) and you can explore that with the therapist. Yeah.
4: Um, So basically, if your needs were over and over not responded to, you're going to learn to bypass your distress because you're learning that it doesn't help you and you just get let down. So this attachment style, you basically are taught to not hope, which we talked a lot about in the last episode, hope.
3: Yeah, because you've also learned to shut your needs down to stay close enough to the parent. So if you like this child, this baby learns, if we're talking about baby or toddler, whatever, they learn like, Oh, if I'm too needy, mom or dad, they actually go away from me. Mm -hmm. But if I shut down my needs, and like I don't cry when I get hurt or I don't cry when I'm in need, then mom or dad may not meet my need, but they also don't go away from me. Mm -hmm. So they stay closer by. And I'd rather have that
4: closeness than nothing. Mm -hmm. And so basically these people are hiding their expression of attachment. And when I say expression of attachment, that's like, um, expression of your need. And I guess like crying, looking, wanting, reaching. There's no expression of it. So it's like, I stay still. The the reality is you always need it, right? You always need it, but you hide it. And I think what happens, it becomes something that you're unaware of at some point.
3: Yeah. You have to disconnect from the need. You have like the avoidant person disconnects from their needs. They disconnect from their vulnerability. They disconnect from like their desire and their feelings, because that is literally what saved them.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like that's
3: the lifesaver that allowed them to, and continues to allow them even as adults to get close, but not too close. Right. And so, yeah, what ends up happening is that it's not like that they just don't have the need for connection or they don't have the need for expression. They've just blunted it or numbed it out so far that it really feels that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And And so... Typically, like, at some point, and this is when I typically see the person in my office, or maybe you end up seeing them in their office, it's like they get to a place where they feel so disconnected in relationship that they can't necessarily name what they need Mm -hmm. or name that they even want it, but it's just like most of the time they show up and they're just like, work is great, but something is off. Mm -hmm. Or a lot of times, which...
4: I, to talk about like what they look like as clients yeah they're the client that comes in and they're like i don't really know why i'm here <laughs> and i'm like okay cool and yeah. we'll think we'll figure it out but they a lot of times they'll come because a spouse or a partner told them to um and once they get into doing the work and they this is the thing at I me mean, i might be getting ahead of myself but it's like once they start getting into the work and they start like opening up those needs, it's like, whoa, 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 I didn't ask for this. I did not ask for this. You're no, no, no. And so it almost feels like sometimes as the therapist, it's like I'm bothering them. Like they're annoyed to be around me. They're annoyed by the questions I'm asking. They're annoyed by me trying to get to know them because they're starting to get close to me emotionally
3: Yeah, the resistance is there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember even in so much of my own therapy, internally, I loved going Mm -hmm. like somewhere inside of me and I couldn't wait for my next appointment. But externally, I really acted like put off that I had to be there. Yeah. And it's like everybody knew intruding on your life. Yeah. Everybody knew. I mean, I was a willing, consenting adult. Mm -hmm. Like I was dragging myself to therapy and Mm -hmm. never missed an appointment. So it was like that was obviously present, but I still like, had to create the distance mm-hmm. to act like I didn't want to be there, to act like the other person was like somehow making me come. Yeah. Well it's like
4: I I'm good. Like these if these other people would fix their shit, I would be fine. Right. So it's a lot of times it's people coming into the therapy office and being Saying that exact thing, like with well, all this stuff that would, if they would just take care of their stuff. I'd be okay, but I don't know how to deal with the fact that they won't take care of their stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's, oh, it's like this. Like I'm fine. I'm independent. I've got my stuff together. Mm-hmm. It's everybody else that has got the problem, right? And I say this: these people aren't unkind, and I don't think that they they have no awareness that they're like doing that.
3: Right and typically, um, I don't know the research. John. Do you know on like, are men typically more avoidant, or is that just some sort of stereotype? I, have I in like my head? don't even want to say what I think because I think that I'm just. You I know, know that being might my just own be. Enemy. I mean, I'm a woman and I lean avoidant, so I say that. But it seems that at least most of the men I work with in my office seem more avoidantly leaning, um, and then it does typically like. The avoidant male or female comes in and they're talking about how needy their partner is or like how much they need their partner to change or they're depressed or whatever. And so, some of the work like that's what that client is talking about. If I could just get with somebody who was more confident Then life would be okay. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well let's look at what draws you to that person. Right. Right. Um, because that person probably has an external expression mm-hmm. of your internal neediness. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I think the other, we didn't talk, touch on this, but the other important thing to talk about in terms of like, how does this develop Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. is one of my favorite things. I'll talk about this forever and ever and ever is the phrase enmeshment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I talked about this in another episode. How in the like, love addiction. I one. couldn't spell measurement. Yeah, you for thought with the M. Um, yes, we so, wanted to bring that back up again. I just that's what <laughs> I think. She's secure of. now, so we can make fun <laughs> of you for that. Yes, I can handle um, being made fun of. It, um, but anyway. Enmeshment is when the parent's needs, the child ends up taking care of the parent's needs. Um, And so this also can really create the avoidant attachment style because maybe your mom or your dad or your attachment figure was always present. Like maybe they physically were around. Um, And actually like if you picture like the helicopter parent or something like that, or even a lesser degree. So your parent is around and they are coming to you, but what they're doing most of the time is trying to meet their own needs through you. Mm -hmm. And so even though it was like, oh, no, my mom always did this or my mom always did that, the question I would really ask is like, yeah, but is that what you needed? Or was that like mom trying to soothe herself by using you? Yes. So which that is such...
4: You might have to rewind that and listen to it again because it's confusing. And I think the thing to think about... The thing to think about... Is not if they were present, if they were attuned to you. Yes. if you Not if they were present, if you were getting what you need. I don't know how many clients I have sat with and they are like, but they told me they loved me, but they gave me hugs. And I'm like, when did they give you hugs? Yeah. When did they tell you that they loved you? Because anybody can say anything, but when you reached out for them, and when you needed something, were they able to provide you that?
3: And did they hear your own boundary back? Because mm-hmm. like maybe mom needed a hug, but you didn't need a hug, right? Like the example. Right. Thankfully, I have a friend who's a behavior analyst and works a lot with kids, and she talked about she was teaching me about boundaries with kids. Um, and so I think about even like my niece is three, three and a half, and um, when I come to see her or when I leave my brother is like hey give your Aunt Meg a hug and I'm that's fine and that's like so culturally like what we do but of course she's three and a half so sometimes she's like no Mm -hmm. and instead of being like no, she has to give me a hug. I'm like, okay, like, do you want a high five? And Mm -hmm. she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, do you want a fist bump? And sometimes she'll be like, yeah. (laughs) But if she's like, no, I'm like, okay, Okay. do you want to like zap pinkies? And if she's like, no, then I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's just wave at each other or whatever. So I'm really like, even though, There's a part of me that's like, oh, I kind of want to hug. There's another part of me that's like, I trust her own ability to know what she wants and her own boundary. Mm -hmm. And so if I were to hug her in that moment when she's saying no that's about me Mm -hmm. like that's not for her and so even thinking about that is like our parents again we're doing the best they could but like just because mom or dad gave you a hug or just because they said that they loved you that doesn't mean that's what you needed necessarily Mm -hmm. like you could have needed space they're
4: they're still dismissing you they're dismissing your boundary Mm -hmm. so thank you for saying that um so I want to talk more about what this looks like in adults. So think about somebody kind of almost like zipping up themselves. It's almost not like closed offness. Me, those those people that I just kind of want to poke. I'm like I just want to see what is in there. It's like I can't really, like what's going on. And these people are the people that are basically like I don't need you. They're usually pretty I mean sick I mean, I guess I can't really say that, but they look successful and they Mm -hmm. look okay. They look fine, especially because our society values that. So these people won't ask for help. Um, They don't really rely on a lot of other people. Um, They want want other people, but Mm -hmm. they have learned not to rely on them. So they literally, again, detach from the idea that they need other people. You know what? This makes me think of an Enneagram too. How so? In the sense that they they want other people's appreciation uh, yeah. of them. They the want martyrdom. people to appreciate them. But mm-hmm. they will go out and like meet everybody else's needs. But really what they want is to feel loved. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go meet everybody else's needs. I'm fine. I got it together. I'm not asking for help. I'm going to do for you. Right.
3: Even though I um, think, I don't know if this is your experience, but most Enneagram twos I find to be more anxiously attached. Well, sure. Do you, but I see what you mean uh, in the... No, I mean, I could see, I can see argue that both. It's, but, but I see what you mean in the sense of like, even if, uh, regardless of their attachment style, it's, it's like, oh, I'm so idea. good at meeting everybody else's needs, mm-hmm. but really internally, I'm desperately hoping you'll meet mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the avoidant is similar in that way, except they're probably not meeting other people's needs on the outside. No. <laughs> they're just internally yeah. like doing this dance with you where it's like, I don't have needs, but I had so many needs. Right.
4: Yeah. Yeah. These people will... Okay, they don't rely on anybody. They deactivate their distress and needs, basically. Just like a button. It's like deactivated. The problem is you don't have a button like that inside of your body. Like, you don't have a deactivation of Uh, needs, I do. You thought you did. (laughs) And a lot of people are thinking, like, I do. You don't. These are people that will self-soothe. So, auto-regulation. They will go and take care of themselves in a way... By themselves. So that is, could be, think of drinking, video games, anything on a
3: screen, work, a lot of that kind of stuff. Exercise. Exercise. Because what that, but I think the important thing to see in that, especially as a person who's had many of those things, is actually that is the attachment figure. Like yeah. The drinking. So like, I know for me, it's like, if I have some sort of distress and I'm running to work or a substance or food Mm -hmm. or whatever, I mean, fill in any, for anybody, that thing of choice, the avoidant person is going to run to whatever that like object is, because that is how they self-soothe, um, versus when we get into the anxious, the anxious person runs toward the person. Mm -hmm. Um, so even I remember doing some of my own work and thinking to myself, like I'm better because I'm avoidant Mm -hmm. and like, why can't essentially, why can't Eric be more like me and like Mm -hmm. have no needs, which would be not helpful but my therapist at the time was like, Oh no, no, no. Like you mm-hmm. just run to things outside of the relationship and he's moving toward you. Mm-hmm. And so for all those avoidance out there who think you're better than like <laughs> the anxious people of the world, it's like, I would really look at what are you running to? Cause that's probably yeah. what you're attached to and how you've learned to self soothe. And do you want to be attached to that? Right. right. Like, Because that's really safe. Like, alcohol is really safe. It will always be there for Mm -hmm. you. It won't judge you. Like, it might cause you a lot of harm. Your eating disorder. Your eating disorder. Like, your work. Oh, my mm -hmm. gosh. Like, so... So Yeah. Such a nice high. Um, But really, like, it can't meet your legitimate needs. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. This is the thing. And this is where, like, we can have so much empathy for any insecure attachment. It's like, for somebody who is avoidant needing is one of the most terrifying things you can do. Because again, you were taught when you need something or someone, it goes away. So the idea of interdependence, which is needing other people, which is how we were created to be, Mm -hmm. is not in your vocabulary.
5: Mm -hmm.
4: So they think to themselves, what happens if I need people, I will get hurt. Therefore, I do not need anyone else.
3: Right. Which even goes into like a lot of the healing for people who do lean more avoidant is like a, a more a secure relationship, mm-hmm. whether that's therapeutically or somebody outside. But it's also really a boundary issue because mm-hmm. part of it is like, oh my gosh, if I allow myself to need, like I'm so thirsty, I will never like, ha- I-, I will be totally will be consumed yeah. by my own need. And like this person like... I'll need them so much. And then what if something happens to them? Like I'll be abandoned. It won't be okay. Right. Yeah. And then same is true. The other way is like, Oh, if I let this person need me, they'll totally consume me and take me over. Mm -hmm. So you're at like both ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. of like, I'm either going to have no boundary for myself and like totally like become so needy. I can't function anymore. Or I'm gonna have no boundary, and this other person's gonna consume me. Right. So it's like a lose
4: lose because Mm -hmm. making sure other people's need that uh, making sure other people need them more than they need others is their defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. But that will backfire because once you try to engage in a relationship, those people become the avoidant will then become eventually overwhelmed by the fact that you set up this way for other people to need you. Like you set it up. To fail, and so in relationships, it's like, okay, I want you to be my girlfriend, or I want you to be my boyfriend. I want to be in a relationship with you. And then when that person texts you, and it's like, why haven't you texted me in (laughs) two hours? They're like, gross. Like you are so clingy and annoying. What is wrong with you that you can't go two hours without talking to me? There's something wrong with you. Or like, hey, let's make plans for. There's, I want to go somewhere for this in two months, and they're like. Uh, I can't even think about like, what do you mean you want to make plans with me in two months? Are you trying to marry me? And it's like, no, like I just want to go somewhere for like new year's or like, I want to go somewhere for my birthday. And like, I want to, I'm a planner mm-hmm. and they're like, you are, it feels like you're putting chains on my legs,
3: which again comes back to the boundary thing of like okay the other person can text you all, as much as they want and you know what you if you trust your own boundaries you don't have to even judge them you don't have to text them back you can mm-hmm. do this on their uh, your own schedule and then they can decide if they're willing same thing with like a future trip and this is a lot of the work i had to do mm-hmm. because i like yes describing me perfectly um same thing it's like oh you want to plan a trip three months from now with me like i don't even know if i'm still going to be dating you in three months Mm -hmm. and then my work would be like hey megan oh what a scary response like you know what like you can decide if you want to go on this and also when you get to three months later like you can decide if you want to go then or if you need to change your mind Mm -hmm. so again it comes back to like trusting that your own ability to set boundaries. boundaries
0: yeah
2: Right
4: Rug Flooring. So anyway, these people basically say, like, screw vulnerability. I don't need that. I don't need to be vulnerable. All that is going to do is kind of get me hurt. Um, So they end up just withdrawing. I feel, and you can speak to this, my experience is that they don't perceive themselves holding back. They just perceive themselves not needing as much as everybody else. Mm -hmm. That fit for you? Yeah. Because they don't want to be... These people also don't want to be alone. Like, like I said, they want to be in a relationship with you, and then you get in it. Like, your experience, you wanted to date, you were dating, and then once you found somebody that wanted to date
3: you, too, you were like, oh my gosh, she wants to hang out with me again, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, like, God bless Eric for, like, hanging in there. Because in the beginning, yeah, he would text me, not even a lot. Like, Eric is really secure, probably leans a little anxious. Sorry, Eric, if you're listening. Um, But... It's like he would text me and I wouldn't text him back for like two days because I... Mm-hmm. And I wasn't trying to play some game. Like I really had that much inner fear and anxiety, which mm-hmm. like I was probably so good at acting like I didn't have. But it really took me that long to be like, okay, I can get back in this. And then I'd get mm-hmm. back in it and I'd be like, oh my gosh. And then I'd get out and then I'd get back in and then I'd get out. And that was like what I needed to do to learn that I you could trust to stay him. stay in it. Yeah. That's
4: the like god bless you you had to stay in it and you know what the fear i have for the people that don't engage in the work and don't do the work is the fact that you run away because that person is too much and you think that because you are not connected to your own feelings Mm -hmm. what's really happening is you're terrified you are terrified Yes, and you are. Yeah, Yeah. and it's like if you could connect with being scared, you then could connect with why you're scared. You're not scared because this person's annoying you, and they're going to overtake your life. Mm-hmm. You are scared because there's a part in you that thinks if you start to engage with this person, attach to this person, they're going to leave you.
3: Yeah, I literally remember... Um... I remember what it was like to attach to my own therapist. And then I remember what it was to, like to attach to begin to attach to Eric. And it was a moment of probably the most panic I felt in my life mm-hmm. because it wasn't, I had no fear that the person themselves would leave me. I actually had more of a fear of, like they would die. Mm-hmm. And so it would be something like outside of their control because I knew like they're not going to leave me. Um, like I knew that, that they we were connected and attached enough that something wasn't going to like rupture that Mm -hmm. necessarily but I literally remember driving and remember where I was and it was like the most pain I've ever felt in my body thinking about like holy shit I have finally allowed myself to care about this person to have needs with this person and what would I do if If something happened to them yeah like, I, I was like, I will not be okay. And I remember thinking to myself, like, the pain of being a therapist. I'm like, this is why, like, this is why I don't want to attach. Because, like, yeah. this is what it's like to actually allow myself to care about someone. Yeah. And I feel like I'm going to die.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And thank God you have you have the awareness to identify that and put mm-hmm. those pieces together. And the interesting thing is I want to come back to that idea that the underlying, that fear of like somebody's going to leave, it's the same for both insecure attachments. And you know how a client who's avoidant will be more about like, I'm annoying them. And they'll, they'll be more about like pushing me away. While somebody who's anxious is going to say more, they're not going to say that I'm annoying or make... Kind of passive aggressive comments, or just like kind of act like <laughs> do things to create Like I'm stupid yeah. or whatever. They're gonna they're going to over and over and over ask me like, "Are you mad at me? Like, if I didn't do homework, like, can I still have my session? Like, yeah. or they're always gonna they're the kind of client that's always like, "What do I do? What do you think? What like all that stuff? And that they're but they are definitely the person who says, "Are you gonna leave me? To me, as the therapist, yeah, and. It's no the feeling there is no different than the the client that acts like I'm the most I'm the scum of the earth and I'm ruining their life. And they're pushing me away.
3: Both of the also both yeah. of those strategies are active strategies to push to create space. Yeah, like the avoidant person, you can obviously look at them and say like, oh, they're literally running away. Mm-hmm. Like they're creating space, but the anxious person is so wrapped up in the anxious likeness of it and asking like are we okay are we okay are you mad at me Mm -hmm. that that actually also is creating space because they're not connected to their fear of really doing intimacy either Mm -hmm. because that's the thing like both of them have the um both attachment styles have the fear of being abandoned but the like surface one the anxious person on the surface looks more afraid of being abandoned but underneath that also lays like a huge fear of actually doing intimacy Mm -hmm. whereas the avoidant person on the surface looks a lot more afraid of doing intimacy but underneath is the abandonment so like these things like are different sides of the same Same. coin yeah and coming back to your um, thing about the avoidant person like thinking they have less needs Mm -hmm. the anxious or the avoidant person doesn't have less needs they meet their needs in different ways Mm -hmm. Um, and so similarly it's like Most avoidant people I know are like when I really am looking at them, they really like may still continue even when they're secure to go outside of the relationship to self soothe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it comes into like, what if you are a person who goes outside of the relationship to self soothe, but you're with somebody who wants to self soothe in the relationship Mm -hmm. and that's where you just have to navigate that. And it doesn't mean either person is like good or bad. It's like, wow, we have competing needs and we have to like work on this. Yeah. Yeah.
4: The funny thing is what I notice with when I work with people who lean more on the avoidance side it's they think they know what they want but they don't no. I know what they want they want a relationship. They want yeah. connection. They want all that stuff. But once their attachment gets activated, they are like, I don't want this. And I'm like, yes, you do. You're just really scared. And so, yeah, that's when the self-soothing. And that's when when ed- avoidance, this might be too heady, but when avoidance attachment system gets activated, they're autonomic nervous system gets activated and so what that is is your fight flight or freeze Mm -hmm. so
3: what do you think these people do oh hell yeah we flee out of here like I really I will tell you like there was a point where I was like I feel like I need a gold medal for staying in this shit because it is so scary it is so hard and especially early on, Eric would yeah. be the type that's like, in three months, do you want to do this? And I would be like, oh, uh, well, I have a big trip to Colorado on Southwest, planning a trip to Colorado. <laughs> Sorry, can't go. Can't go. Um, because I would just, like, flee. And yeah. I really did, even early on, I, like, went on so many trips because I was like, I just have to get away from here and prove that, like, I am my own mm-hmm. person and you can't, like, take me over and you can't control me. And then I'd have to step back and be like... I don't think Eric's trying to do any of that stuff. Like, I'm pretty sure all of that lies mm-hmm. within me. And what would it be like to trust my own boundaries? Yeah. And I had a great therapist saying like, hey, do you need a boundary? Do you need a boundary? What do you need? Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to go to Colorado to tell Eric that you don't want to hang out tonight.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God.
3: Because the thing but in is, my
4: mind, I did. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not like you don't, you didn't like him. And that's why I think a lot of relationships get so lost. And I'm it's like, it's not that you don't like this person. It's that this person is getting close to you and you like this person almost almost too much. Yes. Because you're afraid that if you get close to this person, they're going to see your stuff. And then you're going to be really let down when they leave. So yes. let me just do
3: it yeah. for us both. Yes. That is so spot on. Oh, man. Ugh. It's and it's so confusing. Like, it's, it's so just confusing. As, like, it's so That's confusing. Why I feel like
4: we're talking in circles, but I'm like because it's like we have to drive home this
3: right stuff. because you desperately want the person and you desperately want to be close to them, but you're so afraid that you continue to do things to keep them far away, mm-hmm. which is sort of the human condition. Like we all work incredibly hard to keep ourselves. From getting what we most desperately want, mm-hmm. which is love and belonging, yeah, most of the time, yeah.
4: And the the trouble the trouble is, well, I find this, I see this more, and we're gonna we're about to kind of move into um, anxious. But you'll see more of, I see more of somebody who's anxious is like, yep, that's me. Somebody who's avoidant is like, I'm not avoidant. Like, no, they're just <laughs> yes. everybody else is just so annoying, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll go with that for now. But like, that's like some, the attachment styles are, are just funny because like anxious will, uh, will co-sign that. Yeah. Avoidance are like, no, we're secure. <laughs>
3: yeah. And it is like, I mean, Kat, you may agree with me, but it is true. Like if you live your, if you live your life detached from people and you never, ever need anybody or get close to anybody or depend on anybody, like you will probably have an easier life. Um, Like you will not have as much pain. Yeah, Yeah, easy. I'm really clear about like your life will probably be have less like um, pain in it. Maybe, um, you know, because you're not going to be as attached. You don't ever have to suffer a loss. But I think the question really ask yourself is, are you looking for an easy life or like more of a meaningful life? Yeah. Because if you live your life detached from everybody and never needing anyone and never really caring about anybody and never allowing yourself to go there, like you might have an easier life with less pain, but you won't have a meaningful, like deeply connected, intimate life.
4: And here's the thing I normally would say, this is what I would normally say to that. It's not that they have less pain. It's what kind of pain do you want to have? Do you want to have the pain of not getting hurt or do you want to have the pain of not actually fulfilling your longings? I would normally say that, but with an avoidant, a true avoidant is not aware that they are not fulfilling their loggings because Mm -hmm. they're fine. Mm -hmm. They will say, I don't need relationship, or this is the kind of, I want a relationship that is, that does look like this, but it's not true. Mm -hmm. It is truly not true. You are not wired that way. You have rewired yourself to think that way.
3: Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I remember even like, I got to a place in my life where my therapist, my sponsor, my friends were all like, are you going to date? Are you going to start dating? And mm-hmm. I was like, no, I honestly don't even know if I want to ever get married. Like, yeah. I'm really happy. I have this awesome life. Like, why would I want to add that to it? And I remember my therapist continuously saying like, because you're wired for relationship, right? Right. We are human beings. We are wired for relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, uh, but somewhere deep down inside of me, I believe that Mm -hmm. now I never gave any hint of that on the outside. And so even now when I work with avoidant people, I'm like, you do want this. Mm -hmm. I know that you might not like know that. And I am so flexy on, like, what people's definition of health is. And, like, let's get you to where you want to be. be. And, like, that gets to look like whatever you want it to be. And so open. But the part where I won't budge on is, like, we are all made for relationship and connection. And, like, that is, like, a fundamental human part of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, another, like, measuring
4: measure of avoidant is if you've ever said... Not ever, because, you know, but like if if you find yourself saying that you don't feel certain emotions, like I don't feel hurt or I don't ever get angry or I don't ever get sad. Yeah, you do. You just are not attached to feelings anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you self-soothe those things and you numb those. and.
3: Or you're saying, I don't want to be controlled. I don't want to be consumed. Yeah, Um, I don't like needy people. Like, Mm -hmm. if we could just give these, like, quotes. I mean, it is all, like, classic quotes. Like, I can't be myself because of this person doing Mm -hmm. X, Y, Z. Mm
4: -hmm. So, here's kind of where
3: we'll land this plane.
4: Kind of, like, talking about... And we'll... Actually, Megan, I kind of want to... Talk about moving towards secure at the end for both of them. Yeah, they look a little bit different, but also the same. So that's kind of we'll kind of stop there with avoidant and move into the anxiousness. Even though we've kind of talked about both, but we're going to go into the dun 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 anxious, preoccupied side. Which you know, Catherine will be the expert in the room on this one. I lean over there every now and then. Just a couple times I've leaned over there in my life
3: couple days out of uh, 10 years she's she's been over
4: there <laughs> um so instead of avoidance this person is more about kind of like preoccupation so these people have been exposed to inconsistent attunement of their needs so where somebody who's avoidant they lost hope because the parents just like kind of ignored or were not present for those needs This is a little bit more tricky because sometimes their needs get met and sometimes their needs aren't met. And sometimes they get met and sometimes their needs aren't met. So they battle through this like hoping and disappointment and hoping and disappointment while the avoidant just doesn't hope. And the example that I usually give to clients is this is the kid who like has all you soccer. This is, this has not happened in my life. So mom and dad, I'm not talking about you, but I played soccer. So I'm gonna use this. So <laughs> imagine I had a soccer game at like 6 PM on Wednesday and I'm like walking out the door, going to school. And my dad's like, Hey, like I'll see you at your, at your game tonight. And in my head, I'm like, yes, dad's going to come to my game. And then I go to my game. Like, I'm so excited. And like, dad's coming, blah, blah, blah. And I'm Playing, and I score a goal and I look out at the crowd and I can't find my dad and I'm like oh maybe he's you know in the corner or whatever blah blah he's there he said he was going to be there and then the game's over and I walk over to where all the parents are and like my mom is like hey sorry like dad got caught up in work again <sighs> and it's like oh my hope is up my hope is up and I, I held on to it so much and like I made all these excuses and then the reality is dad didn't show up whereas an avoidant dad didn't even know you had a game You know, Mm -hmm. it's tough because like, you don't want to lose hope because you get these little nuggets, but then you get kind of the nugget taken away from you.
3: Yeah. And so, or like mom or dad comes through the door home from work or whatever. And one day they're super excited to see you and super can connect with you. And then the next day, like they're on the phone and completely ignore you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it's like hard for that. It's hard for somebody
4: on the anxious side to settle. And it's really, 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 really hard for them to trust. And I want to kind of drive that home because I think they get a, we get a bad rap of like, what's wrong with you? You must have like no confidence or no self-esteem. And it's really not about that. It's about the fact that we have been taught that people don't, people don't keep their word or people are inconsistent. People just can't be trusted really. Mm -hmm. And we
3: want so badly to trust them. Right. And obviously, like, when we look at where it comes from, it's for good reason. Like, Mm -hmm. any of us, the most... The worst kind of reinforcement that any person can get is inconsistent re- reinforcement. Mm-hmm. It makes us crazy because it's like, I mean, the whole basis of the lottery or slot machine is based on that premise. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what, sometime that you're going to win, mm-hmm. but who knows how long. And so I have a lot of room for compassion upon people who lean on the anxious side because it's like, yeah, sometimes your needs got met in like a really wonderful way. And then other times you got completely ignored. And like any of us would keep fighting for that wonderful time again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I will use this example
4: for myself is that because, again, I don't think this comes from insecurity of there's something really. I don't really think we think there's something wrong with us all the time. However, if we go back to what we talked about in the beginning, you were gonna make meaning out of our experiences. And so for me, I have had a series of things where the story that I made up, because people would be there and be really, really excited about being there, and then all of a sudden they're gone and they're out. And we have to make meaning up about that. And the meaning that I made for a period of my life was, oh, They don't think I'm worth the work. Hmm. It was not, I don't think I'm worth the work. It was, they don't think that. And that was a hard thing for me to hold. It was a lot of anger for me because it was like, how do they not see how do they why don't they not why don't they see how special I am? Why don't they see how valuable I am? I see it. Why are these people not seeing it? And that's where like the crazy making comes in. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to the example of like the kid and the dad not showing it's it's like I what if I scored a hat trick. How does that dad not see that like he wants to be in the crowd because I'm the star and mm-hmm. it's it makes no sense? Mm-hmm. And we have to make sense out of it mm-hmm. at the same time. And so so in kids, basically, that looks like, oh, mom, or caregiver's here. Oh, they're not. This is really interesting. So there's an experiment called The Strange Situation, which we haven't talked about yet, where Mary Ainsworth did this. And basically, she studied like what happens when um, a caregiver will leave her child and then come back and mm-hmm. to, to, to um, kind of differentiate the attachment styles. And with the anxious, insecure anxious, what would happen is... The kid would be sad when the mom left. Definitely. Sad when the mom leaves. Where, like, the avoidant isn't.
3: The avoidant, like, <laughs> like barely even the, looks at the mom walking yeah, out like, the
4: door. Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, but the... The anxious is sad, and that's an appropriate response. Yeah. The issue is when they come back, they'll go to the caregiver, but then they can't be soothed because in their mind, thank God mom is here, but mom's going to leave again. And so I have to cling to mom because she's going to leave again. And what if she leaves again? And I don't want her to leave again.
3: Right. Like the anxious and the secure baby when the mom walks out of the room looks sort of similar. Yeah. Um, The difference is the secure baby like can can self soothe and calm down. When mom comes back, they interact with mom and like they're happy to see mom. And then they can also sort of play with mom and independently. When mom comes back to the anxious baby, that baby is like clinging Mm -hmm. for dear life. Or really, it's a one year old. Like that that toddler is like can't stop crying, can't Mm -hmm. stop clinging. Like mom doesn't know what to do.
4: And so, like, yeah, later in relationships, that's why there's this, like, constant need for affirmation. And when you're with that person, even when it feels good, you are waiting for them to leave. Because historically, this is not you being, again, it's not low self-worth. Historically, people leave again. Mm -hmm. And so you are attached to that story, Um, And so that would definitely come out in every relationship. These are the people that they just can't relax. These are your stage five clingers.
3: Yeah. And like in some ways I, Yeah, the anxious person isn't making up that there's something wrong with them. It's more of, like, they think they can do something to keep the person there. Yeah, like, what can I do to keep you here? I can see where, like, in some ways those look similar, but they're actually very different. Mm -hmm. Because it does, it isn't, like, an inflated sense of power of, like, I can be better. I can do more. I need to check in with this person to make sure everything's okay so that they'll stay. Yeah, and it ends up being problematic because there's nothing
4: that the partner can do. At that point. And that's why avoidance will end up getting really frustrated because it's like, I texted you when I said I was going to text you. I called you when I said I was going to call you. Like, I like you. I love you. I think you're beautiful. What the hell
3: more do you want from me? You crazy person. Well, yeah. And essentially, again, it comes back to an inability to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. And then instead of being like the avoidant going away to some sort of whatever to self soothe, like the anxious person is trying to get, use the person to self soothe. To do it. So even like, I mean, we'll get here in terms of like, how do you repair this attachment style or whatever you want to call it? You have to learn how to self soothe and self regulate. Yeah. I think more of like, you just have to
4: learn to soothe in general, because I do think in relationship, you should be able to soothe with
3: somebody, not soothe By somebody right that's the biggest distinction like we are humans and created for relationships so we do soothe with other humans Mm -hmm. you just don't want to be using right the human right 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 there's a difference between being connected and and using using them yeah
4: so these parents also I know we talked about your parents have attachment too these parents are a lot of times like fearful in their parenting so like they doubt themselves and then the child can sense that and then they get preoccupied with the fact that their parents are unsure and so they take on the instability of their parents. So in adults, we kind of already been talking about this, but it looks like, why aren't you texting me a lot of like information seeking and wanting to know, st- wanting you to say a lot of words of affirmation. Um, oh yeah. And they so don't affirming. realize like what we don't realize is like, cause we're doing that to find
3: connection. We don't realize that we're pushing those people away,
5: mm-hmm. which is kind of what you're talking so about. With the, yeah. It's Hi. too much.
3: Yeah. Or like the anxious person, like they text and then they're like, why isn't this person texting me back? It's been an hour. And it's like, I don't know, maybe that person's at work Mm -hmm. or asleep or whatever. So then they text again and they text again and they text again. And the texting
4: isn't wrong. The the issue is it's an exaggeration of a normal need. Right. One text is
3: great. Two texts is is great. (laughs) But like, yeah, even the amount of texting, like it's not that it's the anxiety behind the texting. And then I wonder
4: for you too, you can speak on this. It becomes blamey too because then I'm like, Why didn't you text me back? And they're like, I fell asleep. I like what? <laughs> yeah. What? I fell asleep. Like, why don't you trust me? hmm um, and it's like because I was taught not I was taught not to. Right? right. Reality when we're sending you those texts, what we're actually feeling is I feel abandoned and rejected.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, yeah, nobody wants to feel that, so we want to kind of take that away.
2: right rug flooring.
3: And I I don't know that we necessarily plan on getting into this, but going back to even like how we were talking about the two on the, on the Instagram, on the Enneagram um, and how they're so willing to like help, 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 but internally like desperate for help. A Mm -hmm. lot of times I see with clients, a similar pattern showing up, like they're anxiously attached. And so they found like your classic addict avoidant, um, who really like, has a lot going on in their life and really needs a lot of help. And so here we've got anxious person coming in to take care of this person who really needs them. And it's this really nice toxic dance that they have going on. Are you
4: saying that the the addict
3: is avoidant? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The addict is avoidant because they're going to go to their substance to get like healing and they don't want you to fix them. Yeah. They don't want, they don't want you to fix them. But now this whole thing break blows up. And I'm sure you've seen this. I see this a lot too. It blows up when the avoidant addict decides like, oh, I'm actually going to go get help. And like, I don't want you anymore. Mm -hmm. And then the anxious person is like, I've done everything. Like, oh my gosh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, like, I just see that as a as a cycle that's not always there. Like, yeah. please hear me. Every anxious person is not dating an addict. It's just a very common cycle that somebody can find themselves in because you have found someone who really needs you, and that feels really yeah. good. Well, at the same time, here's the thing. I don't think that I'm, like, on the
4: top of the scale with anxiousness. Again, we lean, but... Uh, I also have paid enough money but for therapy. But also Catherine's
3: secured, too. Yeah. Just I want to you to know that know. I'm also healthy. <laughs> um, but yeah,
4: again, it, it, I... How do I say this? If we're dating... If we find ourselves in that avoidant-anxious dance, which works for a period of time, the, avoidant doesn't always leave to go get help.
5: Right. You might they'll go on leave. like this forever. They'll
4: eventually... They'll pro- well, you might go on forever, and it could be a little bit... It could be wild. They also could just leave because they start to get attached to you. Right. That is going to happen when you have more somebody who has an anxious tendency, but isn't fully anxious. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if you have enough security to attach to when you have, yeah, when you have both, it's like that avoidant will end up leaving because, you start to lean into their stuff, and they lean and they go self soothe. They might not lean and go, leave and go get help. Now, yeah, I guess that's have, my ideal situation. That's your ideal. <laughs> so, if you have like black and white textbook anxious, black and white textbook avoidant addict, that will that might happen, or that will never happen, and they'll forever be in this unhealthy wild ride. Yeah. Or if you have either, I think either stage. If you have one. Anxious. This is probably getting too deep, so I probably won't put this in there. But if you have uh, somebody who leans anxious but is mostly secure with a very avoidant, the avoidant will end up leaving because the, the oh, secure yes. person is trying to get in there. If you have somebody who is mostly secure but a l- little avoidant and somebody who's mostly anxious, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The avoidant will still end up leaving. Does yeah, that make sense? it's too much. The avoidant's going to leave either way. Because they either have health and they're going to go, you know, I I can't do this, it's too much, like, you're actually unhealthy, or they're going to leave because... You're trying to attach to me and I don't want to do that if they're unhealthy.
3: And also what you're talking about is like mismatch levels of like health. And so kind of what you're saying is like, it's inevitable if one person, I don't care what kind of attachment style you have. If one person is mostly secure with somebody who's not, it's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think coming back to even the thing I, I was really trying to highlight about the anxious attachment style is one way, like one key to seeing like when you're trying to figure out your attachment is like, yeah, have you attracted, like, are you in a relationship where you're someone who's really meeting a lot of the needs, because the anxious person is going to be probably far yeah. better at meeting needs and like, being even ahead of knowing what the need is like anticipating the need mm-hmm. um, before the other person, so you which, don't leave them, and is also a way to like, keep from doing intimacy. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm always meeting your needs, then I never have to talk about what my needs are or to be needy myself. And the secure
4: person is going to say, you take care of your needs. I'll take care of my needs. Let's meet somewhere and hang out. Yeah. In the middle. So these people have a fear of being alone is what it looks like. That's what their fear is on the outside looks like whereas mm. the avoidant their fear on the outside looks like a fear of intimacy but really the
3: anxious person does have a fear of intimacy like, and th- they to think- me you see like you would yeah. really see that i have needs i have feelings and i would mm. actually have to share them even yeah. though the most deceptive part is that on the outside it looks like the anxious person is very connected to their needs yeah yeah and so yeah so the anxious person
4: is like basically their. Over doing it when it comes to attachment. Mm-hmm. The avoidant person is underdoing it when it comes to attachment. Mm-hmm. The anxious person assumes you're not going to come back. And the avoidant person assumes that if I don't hold this together, it's going to fall apart. Yeah. I got to go.
3: I don't want this responsibility. So
0: which, I think
3: neither of which are doing interdependence. Right, like, Right. Right. Interdependence is like, doing relationship together like Mm -hmm. you're not overly dependent but you're not so independent that you're not even in the in the game right um you're able like interdependence looks like i have needs i'm able to express my needs my feelings my wants my Mm -hmm. desires without like totally expecting you to fix them and then the other person can also kind of stay in their lane and hear hear that you have these needs have these feelings ask for what ask what you need also have boundaries like Both Mm -hmm. people are having needs. Both people are having boundaries. Both people are allowing the other person to feel their feelings and not Mm -hmm. having to fix them. Like, that's what interdependence looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And
4: so I think that um, we've kind of like, part of me is like, we should have done this in multiple episodes. But we've kind of given you a lot of information to digest about kind of discerning the different types of insecure attachment. Now I want to start to talk about the hope that there is for this steady hope that there is for yes. both of these types, because you have the ability to have secure attachment with that being said, it is a painful, scary, twisty turny road to get there. Cause you, Gold have, metal deserving. Yeah, you have to face your biggest fear on either side. And you have to be willing to do that. And with an avoidant, and you can speak to this, Megan, like going and doing the work. You have to actually become aware to the fact that you have needs, which is terrifying because then you're vulnerable. And oh my God, then you're going to get abandoned.
3: Yeah, and even like further too, like all that is true. But also leaning avoidant, as I experience this personally, and I see it with clients. You also have to battle the need every week or the thought every week that you don't really need to do this because everything's fine. Yes.
4: <laughs> yeah, because everything's <laughs> fine.
3: And so I know a lot of my journey was like, well. I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Like I've committed to doing this whole therapy thing. I'm just going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Even though so much in the journey, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, So I think there's an extra element of like, the whole time you're actually sort of talking yourself into it yeah and you know the the
4: the lie that you might be saying is that like i'm fine like there's no chaos chaos in my life my life is so steady whereas an anxious person is like there's chaos everywhere
3: but there's still chaos in your life yes. you're asleep to it yes amen um so and you're working so hard to not get attached to the therapist like there's there's a lot against yeah. you i mean there is too if you're anxious but like even I know I've had a lot of clients that are mean um, avoidance say to me like, yeah, I forgot how much I liked meeting with you like from one week to the next. And I'm like, yeah, because you're telling yourself all week mm-hmm. that you don't need me. You don't care about me. You don't even like me yeah. to, in order to continue to, tr- to create distance. And you,
4: you gotta allow yourself to attune to other people and mm-hmm. you have to allow yourself to like care about other people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is very scary. And, in a podcast that I was, did I say podcast weird? No, I don't know. you feel like I was listening to. You. I know. I heard in you a pod- say in a podcast I was listening to. Um, they described. They said that the avoidant is like the Tin Man, and they need to they need to go find their heart. <laughs> That's probably
3: true. I mean, yeah. as sad as it is, it's probably true. And if you do lean avoidant, you have to be one hell of a freaking translator because I know like what that looks like for me is constantly like. In my head I'm like, oh, I don't care about this person. And then I have to be like, Oh, that actually means I care about them a lot. Mm-hmm. Or I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go on this three week vacation without anybody and I'm yeah. finally gonna get the peace and quiet that I want. And then I'm like, okay, that's an alert. Like, translate that. That means that I need more boundaries in my life mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, and so I really have learned to pick up on these traditionally like avoidant phrases that I carry and translate them into, like, what's actually true. Yeah. And then learn what I need within that.
4: Yeah. Whereas, like, the anxious person, their, their, a lot of their work is learning to be less aware of the outside and more aware of the inside as well. And it, it's just a different way. Mm-hmm. The avoidant the, is not aware of the outside or the inside. <laughs> the the <laughs> anxious person just needs to go inside. Um, and they have got to do the work around, like, identifying their own opinion and learning how to be more selfish about their needs and their desires and their longings rather than the kind of like role we play as the self selfless kind of like how you're talking about the two. Yeah. Um, Enneagram. So it's like, you have to go inside and start reading your own cues rather than trying to read and take care of everybody else's because we've created safety by making sure we don't cause a stir and we're helping others. Cause if they are happy, then we're okay. Just like the avoidant says in the therapy session, if they would be, if they would fix their shit, I would be okay. So if I fix my stuff, I'll be okay for that person.
3: Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And conversely, like the avoidant person who's in recovery and working on security has to like, in the same way, work on being less selfish. Mm -hmm. So I know like even in my own relationship, sometimes I'll have to be like, okay, hold on a second. Like, what do you need? Like, Mm -hmm. this is a lot of focus on me. I'm really good at focusing on me. And like, I deeply care about my partner. And so Like our dance that we do together is also there are times that I'm like, okay I have received enough care um, and I will continue to do that if I'm not careful. And then I have to like push it back for Eric. I'm like, what do you need? What do you want? What's going on? So just like the person who leans anxious is like working on identifying their needs and becoming less selfless hey, avoidant people of the world, you also need to work on being less selfish.
4: Yeah. And you know what, like in your story too, the somebody moving towards you, it's like this person wanting to love and care for you so badly. And you, you interpret that as like a threat Mm -hmm. of like, this person's going to end up hurting me. And it's like, no, like just let somebody love you. Let somebody see
3: you. Like, Um, But it is a threat because the avoidant person has needed 100% of their energy to meet their own needs. They never got their needs met. Yeah. And so, or not, you know, never, but most of the time didn't. And so they're used to like trying to survive on a private island. Yeah. Like if you leave, avoid it. So you need a hundred percent of your own energy to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. But as you step more into your adult self, you'll start to see, oh, this other person is safe and they're not actually going to take from me.
4: Yeah. Because the truth of all this is, if this is something that was developed in fully in your childhood, Those things, those traits, how you were able to survive your attachment style kept you safe on your island Mm -hmm. either way, anxious or avoidant. And the truth is, in adult life, you don't need those survival mechanisms any longer. They are now hurting you. Mm -hmm. And so the anxious person, one of our jobs is to realize that we're having an exaggerated expression or feeling. This is not 100% the truth of what's going on, and we have to realize that just because we're feeling something doesn't mean that somebody has done something. And the world is probably a lot safer than we think it is, and people are probably a lot safer than we think they are. So, kind of wrapping this all up, how in a how basically do we move towards secure? You guys are going to love this simple answer <laughs> to earn, to get this, what we call earned security. It's like moving from an insecure to secure. Um, it's going back to that idea of like, it doesn't matter what happened to you. It matters what you do with it. So it's not whether or not like you have, it's the thing is, it doesn't matter if you've experienced trauma because you have. Newsflash. You <laughs>
3: have. Everyone <laughs> has. It's not whether or not you
4: experienced it and it's like, oh, you're sh- shit out of luck if you experienced trauma, but if you didn't, you'll be secure. It's not about that. It's what do you do with the trauma? Has the trauma been processed? Because through trauma, we create stories. And through these stories, we create ways to interact in the world and do relationship. And so now the issue is these people who have insecure attachments... Did not have people to help support them in their trauma and write the accurate story. Mm -hmm. Now, if we want to grow and heal our attachment wounds, we got to go find somebody and heal in a relationship with somebody that That does not
3: have to be a romantic partner. (laughs) That is the only way. Like, you cannot heal attachment through a podcast, through a book, through journaling, through meditation. I mean, all of those things will help you. And, like, I That's the
4: first step. That's
3: the awareness. Yeah. I love my, some of my avoidant clients. I'm just constantly like, okay, Winnie, like, you got to do this with somebody. You got to do this with somebody. You got to do this with somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how many, like, I'll just keep saying it forever. Mm -hmm. Like, you cannot heal in a vacuum. Mm
4: -hmm. I said that this week. Yeah, and so, yeah, earned security is literally learned through meaningful, strong, healthy. And when I say healthy, I don't mean perfect. Mm -hmm. A healthy relationship where, like, you can show up with your stuff. They can show up with their stuff. You can argue. You can have a fight. You can disagree. And you can still stay attached. This is a lot of times what a therapeutic relationship models. And a lot of times the clients don't know we're doing that. But what we're saying is, like, come back. I'll still be Mm -hmm. here.
3: Yeah, the whole premise, I had somebody asking me, like, okay, so when are we going to work on our attach my attachment? And I was like, uh, we're working on it. Yeah. You know, like, this is it. And they're like, okay, well, what do you think I should talk about to, like, work on it? I'm like, in a lot of ways, we can talk about whatever, anything. You- we could talk about anything that has some sort of meaning. Like, I really appreciated, I appreciate when people are, like, ready to, like, head on do mm-hmm. the work. But I'm like, the work that we're doing in therapy, at least from the lens that I think we both operate out of, is, like the attachment between the client and the therapist is healing the attachment wound. Yeah. Um, I had somebody recently say to me, like, um, I was like, Hey, how's this session going? Are you getting what you need? And they were like, yeah, because for me, just simply coming to this session is me telling myself that like, I'm worth it. (sighs) I love that. And I'm like, wow, we could literally talk about anything because that's the work is like them valuing themselves and me saying like, yeah, you're worth this time too.
4: You know, um, you probably have had experiences like this, but I've had a couple of these and, um, I will ask people pretty often, like what allows you to sit in this room with me and tell me your stuff that you like, what is it about this space that you don't have somewhere else where you can't go Mm -hmm. somewhere else and express yourself and whatever and do whatever. What is it about this space that allows you to talk to me basically? And a couple weeks ago, somebody said, will you? And I was like, uh-uh. I was like, it is not totally me. It could be partly, but like, what about me? And she was like, "She was like, the first session, I walked in the office, I sat down, and you were doing something at your desk, and you made a comment about something not regarding therapy. It was like, about the day, or about your day. And I just sat here and thought to myself, I think that I can trust this person, hmm. and I was like, okay. And that really wasn't about me. That wasn't about me. Cause you don't know what I, you don't even remember what I said, you know how you felt. That's what it is. And I was like, but that was not about me because I didn't force you to say anything in here. And she said, this is the first time that I have ever told my story, told my whole story. And this is through like beautiful mm-hmm. tears. And you haven't like the person hasn't left. And I was like, yeah, and I didn't force you to do that. You came in here and you decided I'm this person. Like I'm gonna trust this person. You didn't know anything about me. Mm-hmm. I could get up and move to Ohio tomorrow, right? It's like you, but you decided in that, that I'm willing to do the scary work and I'm willing to trust somebody for the first time. And what you learned is that not everybody will leave. Yeah, and that is the hard to scary work. Mm-hmm. It's not about me making you feel a way, a certain way, it's you learning to trust
3: Yeah. And learning how to like do something differently and get a different result and step into new territory. And like the best things that clients can do is like, talk about what it's like to be with your therapist. Like talk about your perceptions of the therapist, talk about how you feel with them, talk about all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, really the attachment relationship between the client and the therapist, the client is the, like, you are the hero of your own story. Mm -hmm. Like your therapist is not your hero. Um, however they might be really meaningful to your life yeah. but you are your own hero and as you learn to do attachment in a new way in the office then you can take that out into the world and do that with other people around you
4: yeah and it is an experiment because we get to be somebody who kind of like it's less it's less risky it is mm-hmm. because you can say like I'm paying this person or this is this person's job and we're people mm-hmm. so it still counts but it's like this is the experiment where you go and you see what it's like because my hope is the client. My clients have the ability at, at some point. It's not always all, the first session or even the first couple months. At some point, they feel the safeness to just be a freaking hot mess, mm-hmm. and they don't have to buckle up or zip up, and they don't have to text me every day to make sure that I'm not going to fire them. Mm-hmm that they just trust that they were messy and I still will care for them. So there you have it, guys, the ways to heal your, your attachment. Number one, go to therapy. <laughs> Basically, Number two, create new, strong, meaningful relationships. And number three, you develop new meaning for the old story. Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Another it's resource I was just going to share too, is, um, I've, found this app, the Gottman card decks. Have you seen that Kat? No. So Gottman G O T T M A N, which is after John Gottman. He does a lot of work with relationships, but it is a free app that helps you connect with people in your life. And so check that out if you're also wondering for like a resource on how to practice secure yeah. attachment and, and intimacy. Yeah.
4: Yeah, so, yeah, this has been a quite a long episode, but maybe you might have to listen to it again, or maybe you have to listen to it in pieces, but this is important stuff, this is necessary stuff, this is scary, challenging stuff. And um, if you are connecting to this episode, really more than, I guess, every episode, but really this one, if you are connecting to it, I want to, again, offer yourself some grace, because nobody's 100% secure. No. And if you want to do some work and and look at this stuff, I really want to encourage you to reach out to a therapist. It doesn't have to be us, but you can't heal this alone. So
3: So reach out, take the step, um, and thanks for listening. Yeah. Peace out, Rainbow Trout. Mm -hmm. See ya.